motherhood, and work. There isn't a right way or best way to juggle these, despite what you've heard or been told. No, really, there's not. Part-time work has been the best fit for me and my family, but it's tough to navigate any gray area of motherhood when you don't fit neatly in a box. My name is Tiana Fesh, and welcome to the Part-Time Jungle Podcast, where we are going to build conversation and community around swinging motherhood and work in a way that works best for us and our families. No matter your path, it's an adventure with highs, lows, and in-betweens. Let's explore together. Mastering Your Motherhood Jungle is my new six-week online course designed to help busy moms learn how to untangle the vines and swing through motherhood and work with flying colors. It includes six lessons with flexible access. Watch the videos when it works for you. Six weekly group coaching calls to connect, ask questions, and get further clarity. Access to a private Facebook group for accountability, feedback, and support one-on-one support with me via email over the duration of the course, as well as a one-hour call to focus on your motherhood and work juggle. It also includes a course workbook to download and print. But what I'm most excited about is the incredible bonus, your village. So access to over 15 amazing moms who are experts in their fields, sharing their zones of genius on all things motherhood and work through 15 to 30 minute videos that you can access at any time. You'll also get lifetime access to all course materials. The course starts on Monday, January 18th, 2021. But until Sunday, December 13th, I have a special limited time offer. Give the gift of mastering your motherhood jungle to yourself or a special mom in your life, and I will include a bonus gift of a signed copy of the book, You've Got This Boss Mama, so you can wrap that up and put it under the tree. For more information about the course, head to my website, theparttimejungle.com, and click on Learn. Welcome to the Part-Time Jungle podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm excited to be here to, today with our guest, Jessica Velasquez. Thank you so much for joining me, Jessica. Thank you, Tiana. I'm so excited to be here. So a little bit more about Jessica. She, she was born in Panama. She studied interior design in Toronto, a field she combined with real estate and became known as the realtor designer. For years, she has helped expats relocating to Panama, helping them choose properties and envision their potential and turning their investment into places they could call home. Jessica, her husband, and their five children relocated to Calgary in 2011 and opened Interiors by Jessica. It wasn't until 2018 when after some soul searching, her niche was born. She is the first home design specialist. Her live Instagram show, My Very First Home, is on its, maybe further now, 57th episode, and it covers topics relevant to the home ownership journey, including at home like a designer, expert interviews, and buyer's corner. Her design pillars, departure points, and design targets are tools she uses to coach first-time homeowners. 
They are her why, and she loves setting up her clients with an actual plan to renovate without buyer's remorse. I'm really looking forward to diving in, Jessica. Me too. I think that the combination of home, working from home, and motherhood is challenging for everyone. So this is a topic that I'm really interested in. Absolutely. And I think our listeners will be as well. There's so many things to talk about, but I know that entrepreneurship is obviously a big part of your juggle and it's challenging in and of itself. So if you add motherhood to that mix and then a generous dose of five children, (laughs) you have definitely the perfect recipe for juggles galore. So I would love for you to share some strategies and insights that have helped you with your motherhood work juggle. So my, my entrepreneurial journey did start when my, our first kid was about six, eight months old. I think that comes from my dad, who is a serial entrepreneur. I've managed that since I was a young mother. At times, I've worked for somebody else, but most of my career life and mother, motherhood has been defined by entrepreneurship. Needless to say, not all of those entrepreneur journeys or ideas were successful. Some of them were harder than others. Certainly I did learn with all of them. I think what I've learned the most was that it's a very careful balance to be an entrepreneur and a mom. And you have expectations to juggle with both. You have expectations to be successful and you have expectations to be a successful mom as well. And that mix sometimes is not the right time or it's not the right mix at every stage of your life. You know, we have, we're raising little children, they become teenagers, they're in school, they become adults, and there is a time for everything. I don't think I could do what I'm doing now when my kids were little and that I need to be nice to myself. <laughs> And remember that I cannot do everything and be everything for everybody at all times. Absolutely. And I really love the point that you've brought up about how things change over the course of the different ages and stages that our kids are at. Mm -hmm. Uh, It makes me reflect on my own motherhood work journey and how when the kids were small, I actually taught some evening classes, some uh, upgrading classes for adults, and that worked well. Whereas now that evening time is so busy for my family with extracurricular activities and homework and all those things. So that would not be the best option for me. So it requires some flexibility and adaptation along the way, for sure. For sure. And being nice to ourselves too. I think I think as moms, as women, we demand a lot of ourselves and we have these expectations. I, I learned to not, not take my kids' mistakes and failures as my own, as, as if I had failed as a mom. So that is part of being nice to myself too and in ourselves as women and as mothers. Absolutely. It's hard to see our children go through difficult times and it's hard to yeah. not take that on at such an emotional level um I have a story that goes along with that I would love to hear that yeah so I have five and I think the first kid always goes through the hardest (laughs) 
sometimes because it's the first and you have all these things that you think should, you know, the idea of how things should go and how they should respond. But my first was in grade 10 and we were in Panama at that time. Um, a private school with a very strict curriculum, 13 courses at once throughout the year. And in Panama, if you fail three, you have to do the whole year again, regardless of how well you did in the others. So he was failing five. And I took it upon myself to check D2L, you know, like we do here, to see how his grades were. Had he handed in homework? Had he done the test? How did he do everything? I was just kind of on him, just hoping that he wouldn't fail the year, constantly talking to the teachers, emailing them. And things were just going, you know, it was a nosedive. It, it, there was no way he would be able to, to you know, uh, finish the year successfully. And I had to repeat to myself as a mantra, my son's failures are not my own. The, the, my son's failures do not mean that I failed that one. My son's failures do not mean that I failed as a mom because I really felt that I had failed. Not that I had failed him, but that, that I had failed as a mom. And I had to internalize that I had done my best and I could not save him from the consequences of his decisions. When, when you choose, it's like I learned once that when you choose a decision, it's kind of a long stick. On one side is the decision you make, and then the other one side is the consequences. When you pick up that stick, you're picking the consequences as well. And I could not change that. What I could do was to do, was to manage my reaction and how I was supporting him. Which leads me to, you mentioned, you know, some you know, what I had learned throughout the years. And I think it goes back to that when, and I've learned this as an entrepreneur now, but I can relate to that, to that kind of lesson. I have learned now that we cannot evaluate the results of our actions based on somebody else's decisions. For example, if I have a sales campaign and I want it to be successful, that this, the number of sales it's going to depend on somebody else deciding to buy. That is his, their decision. But if I evaluate my actions based on somebody else's decisions, I'm already doing it wrong. I have to evaluate my results based on what I can control. For example, the amount of sales offers I make, the amount of sales calls, posts, lives, uh, ads, that I can control. And that's what I should take to evaluate my results. Same you know, likewise, as a mom, I cannot evaluate my success as a mom based on my kids' decisions because <laughs> I don't have control over that. But I can control the amount of, you know, quality time I give to them or how I taught certain principles or the example I gave them. That I can control. So it goes back to, you know, the coaching I've received now, the lessons I learned then, and I think it's all together. It's all related to each other. I really love that. And that message, messaging and that connection. It is so hard to see our children struggle and yeah. to not have success. And I think the message that you're sharing is so important because 
I mean, ultimately, as parents, we're hoping to support them and their journey in becoming independent adults who are, you know, seeking out uh, the life that they would like to have. And so in encouraging them to develop that independence, we really need to have them own their own choices and decisions, including the mistakes and failures in those tough times. It just hurts. (laughs) so hard. It hurts because you see the potential and you're like, don't go that way. But sometimes we have to let them own it, like you say. Yeah. And there's so much learning that can come from that too, right? Yes. If you never let your children fail, there's a lot of mislearning opportunities, I think. think Again, it's so related to entrepreneurship because if you don't let yourself fail attempting to do what you want to do, then there's never, you know, learning. There are worthy mistakes and unworthy mistakes. And these I learned from my coach. Unworthy mistakes are the ones you. The, the inactions, the, the actions you never take because you were afraid of failing. But the worthy mistakes, uh, sorry, the worthy failures are the ones that, you know, you failed at the attempt, but you learned. And I relate that to motherhood as well. Like kids have to go through that too. And, and I mean, my son did complete, um, graduate. He graduated from 11, did grade 12. He's almost graduating from university, doing very well. He had to learn and I had to learn as a mom too. Absolutely. I love that story. Thank you so much for sharing that. And this connects actually quite nicely because the whole idea of perfectionism and imposter syndrome can be huge roadblocks for so many of us in pursuing our dreams. And I know over the last 25 years, you've been involved in many things, uh, including real estate, design, business consulting, and language coaching. So I would love to hear uh, what you've learned by really pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone again and again. That's a really good question. I was not familiar with the term imposter syndrome until a few years ago, probably three years ago. It was something that it was so real in my life, but yet I didn't know what to call it. And I have, my husband said at one point, you know, you fake it till you make it. (laughs) And I used that when we started real estate and we did that in Panama. And I have to say Real estate is very different in other countries, in many different countries, it varies. When we started doing real estate back in 1994, there was no requirement to have a license. And my dad is a real estate investor, so he just kind of threw me in the water and said, just learn how to do it. And I had to fake it till I make it. And I learned, and because uh, the customer service that we were providing and we were bilingual, we managed to do it well. Not, we were never sued or anything like that. We just, we did, we did provide good customer service, but I didn't know a lot of the things that had to be done with, you know, with the, the bank and there was no escrow in Panama. So it works a little bit different, but I had to, I pushed, my, pushed myself to do things that I didn't know how to do and I learned on the way. But 
I did I did real I did real estate because I doing interior design failed for me in Panama. It failed because I was disappointed in the craftsmanship and the quality of the workers, and I did not enjoy doing real estate at all. I had graduated in Toronto. We moved to to Panama with a lot of dreams of doing interior design, and I quickly became disappointed. But that's when my dad said, going to real estate. And that's when we decided, okay, we're going to do this. We're not experts. We're going to just make the best out of it. So I put my real estate passion aside. Then, you know, we moved throughout the years. Opportunities came. Uh, we became trade mission consultants, which I had never done. We opened a language school. I had never done that either. But I, because of other skills that we had acquired, like, again, good customer service, uh, being perseverant, persevering and, um, and the goals and following up, those, those skills trumped everything else. It wasn't until we moved back here. My husband grew up here in Calgary, decided to move back. Throughout the years, he always told me, go back to interior design, go back to interior design. My answer was always the same. I've been out of the field for so long. I'm irrelevant. I don't have anything to share anymore. I don't think I can do it. And in fact, opening the Instagram account for me was a big step, but I didn't want to post anything here comes imposter syndrome because I thought that people were going to say, who does she think she is? She hasn't been doing interior design, you know, and when I say interior design, it's just solely interior design for years. Who does she think she is now having an Instagram account? Who does she think she is talking about design? I honestly thought that's what people were going to say. It took you know, I, I had this coach who pushed me and then I pushed myself to just do it. It took a lot of it, a lot of for me to do that first post. And then I was encouraged to do a live. And I did one, the first five minutes, and I, it felt like 30 minutes. It felt like such a long time to just, just talking about what I believed. But little by little, week after week, I felt this uh, reborn confidence in me and I could hear myself telling me, you know, you do have something to share and you do have something to say and you do know about this and about this and about that and that confidence grew. But it took a lot of me to just say, I think that what helped was also to just announce it. And I would just say, I'm going live every Wednesday at 3 p.m., that's what, that was my first time. And I'm going live to talk about this, or I'm going to do this. And honestly, the first time I had to say it was really scary. But because I had said it live, that kind of committed me. And therefore, it pushed myself. It pushed me to do it. But the first step was hard. And then once I took that first step, and I felt comfortable, then I knew I had to push myself to take another step. And then that felt comfortable. And then it's, it, it just goes on and on. It's like a, like a ladder, like a stairwell. You get to one point, once you're comfortable, okay, then take the next step. I think it's Marie Forleo who says, 
start when even if you're not ready. Like don't wait until you're ready to get things going because honestly, we'll never feel we're ready. We'll never feel it. we have it all together, that it, everything is perfect to ta- take that first step. But if there's so much learning in the doing, there's so much learning to do. If we never take that step, we'll never learn. There, there is so much learning in the doing. Absolutely. And my very first experience on Instagram Live was with you. <laughs> and you yes. helped walk me through that process. And I'm so appreciative of that. So you helped me take that step. But you're so right. When you finally have the courage to say it out loud and you've made that commitment, it's so scary, but then you just have to go for it. You just have to. Just have to go for it. And, it, and you're right. It's those taking those small steps along the way. Yeah. Yeah. One step at a time. Absolutely. My husband always said, you have to do what you love. And I would say back to him, no, you, you love what you do. You have to learn to love what you're doing, whether you're teaching English or doing trade missions or showing properties, just learn to love it. But I'm 52. I wish I would have learned that valuable lesson a few years <laughs> before. And just, you know, right now I feel like, I feel like I'm a young Jessica taking over my dreams and doing what I really love. I found my why and I can just sit down and work the whole day because I'm passionate about what I'm doing. I found my why. I found, you know, I'm not just loving what I'm doing. I'm not just loving what I'm doing. I'm doing what I love. And it, there's a big difference. I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that once you find that passion and your reason to get up and talk to people and share, it makes a whole difference in, you know, as to how you do everything else. It just completely changed my, my life, my work life for sure. Yeah, no, that is such an important message as well. Cause I think, and that was one of the things um, I used to be a, uh, junior high high school science teacher and there was so much about that uh, job that I did love but I struggled in becoming a mom and for me that just didn't fit or work well and I wasn't loving it in the same way because I was struggling to kind of manage setting boundaries around my work and that type of thing because I get so invested in my students and I didn't ever want to be a teacher who didn't want to be there with my full heart because it's, it is the kind of job that you have to be in so many ways all in. Yes. And uh, yes. yes. So it was hard to make a shift and a change, but it actually all kind of worked out and it's been a journey. It's been a journey. And it's interesting that hindsight that you get when you look yes. back and you kind of see how all those pieces kind of, came together and got you to where you are today. I think that's the best word to describe it. It's a journey. And it, it took me time to get to where I am now. I don't regret any of the different business ventures that we, we, we had. I think in every single one of them, 
I learned something very valuable to take to my next in our next. We still have that language coaching uh, business. It's kind of my baby, but right now I'm debating, you know, I'm just, I think I'm just going to let it go, let it go. Um, even though I, you know, deep inside my heart, I wish I could just keep it and say um, it's successful. It's running well, but now I have this, other side of me that I want to give it my all and and it's not easy to let go it's not easy easy to let go even when things are not going well because I think sometimes we just don't want to admit that that you have to close that door we have to keep we want to keep all our doors open but sometimes doors need to be closed just have a new chapter and I have a good reason to just turn the page for sure yeah it's it is a tough call, but it definitely opens us up to yeah. all the opportunities ahead of us. And I do want to ask you, because I know that your uh, specific focus is on being a first home design specialist. And so I'm really curious what kind of led you to focus on first-time home owners in your interior design work. And what are your design pillars and where do they fit in the home ownership journey? Thanks for asking how I got to my niche. That's a very interesting question because it, it, it came from a question. In one of my coaching sessions, my coach said, what makes you unique? What makes you different? And I, I was writing down, you know, I'm, you know, what I thought made me unique so I can choose then a specific group of people I wanted to work with. But the question was this, I am the only one, actually it's not a question, it's a sentence. I had to fill in the blank. I am the only designer who blank. And I started writing that down. You know, some of these, I'm sure there are others like me, but this is what I answer. I'm the only designer with five children. I'm the only designer who had a language business uh, language coaching business. I'm the only designer who've done trade missions. I'm the only designer who've done real estate, which, you know, I'm, I'm sure you can find others under the same characteristics. But then I started putting it together and I thought, I'm the only designer who've done real estate. So what? Why does that matter? Who, who would care that I'm the only designers who've done real estate? And I started writing down, you know, somebody who is looking for their first home and don't know the potential of this property would care because I can bring in my real estate experience. Somebody who's renovating and don't know, you know, how to renovate to increase the value of a property would care. And, and I start answering all these questions or writing down all these ideas. Then I realized I can combine my past life <laughs> with my passion, my experience with what really you know, lights that fire in me. And that's how I chose to be a first home design specialist. I could have gone to being a designer for somebody who's upgrading or downsizing or somebody who wants to stage. All those kind of relate to real estate. But I chose first time home buyers because I think they're the ones who are the most neglected when it comes to interior design. Uh, like somebody told me the other day, interior design is so expensive. First-time homeowners really can't afford it. And that really, really, like I said, lights this fire on me because it's not true. And everybody needs 
or deserves to have a well-designed home. The only thing is that we have this idea that first-time homeowners won't have the money to spend in a designer or that designers are very expensive. So I'm trying to reach that gap and, and, and close that, that circle, letting them know, you know, you deserve a really a well-designed home and there's ways to do it. And there's ways to plan that design. You may not be able to renovate the whole home at once. I think that's most first-time homeowners, that's where they're at. They, they have used all their, their savings into a down payment, closing fees, moving costs, maybe buying the first couch or their first dining set or their first bed. You know, the least thing in their mind is paying for a whole, you know, kitchen makeover or to changing the carpet and for the entire home. That's probably along the way you, you think about it in four, three, five years. But I, I'm trying to teach that there is a way of doing that. And it's, it's about planning their vision. So here's where my three pillars come in. The first one is clarity. The second one is vision. And the third one is planning. And every time I talk about other things that are not related to home design, it just seems that these three pillars fit, fit right into place with everything else in our life. Clarity is about being clear in your mind as to what you need, what's most important, what's, what has priority, and why. It's not enough to say, um, I need three bedrooms because I have three kids or two, or I need a home office, I need a finished basement because I need an office because I work. There's a lot that comes into play in, in defining those priorities. Why do you need a home office? Why do you need a finished basement, etc.? So clarity of mind is, comes first, being aware of why you need what you think you need and defining a budget. When I talk to clients, that is the most dreaded question. What is your budget? Nobody wants to say what their budget is because they think a designer or a contractor or an engineer is going to spend it all. I think I approach it from this uh, angle. What is your ideal budget? Everybody has in their mind that they don't want to spend more than XX. Everybody knows that. I don't want to spend more than this. Nobody wants to spend the least possible. That's, that's being human. That's being real. But if we have that, if we disclose that among my ideal budget is designers or contractors, or even if you're going shopping for an outfit, you have an idea of where to go and where not to go because you have an ideal budget. So being sure of what you need, what's priority, why you need that, and how much you're willing to spend is part of being clear. And that's the first step. That's the very first step. Even if you're just shopping for a home, if you're a first-time home buyer, you need to be clear as to how much you're approved. And what's, what's more important? Is it location or is, this the, or is it the size of the home? Or is it the age or the layout? Everyone needs to be clear as to what they need, what's priority, and why. The next pillar is about vision. And I, I tell this a lot. This is kind of my, my go-to um, advice. Develop a vision of the end result first. And I can relate that to, you know, your home, your design, and even your life. If we know where we're going, then 
we can take the, the right steps to get there. It's the same thing with your design, your home. If, okay, if you think, okay, I want to have this living room with these colors and I, I want to have this kind of furniture and I, you develop that vision that what we probably would call in the design world a mood board, then you can start shopping. But most people, and this is true for you know everyone, most people get to home and the first thing they do is they paint because they want to, you want to refresh the home. They want to make it look like it's theirs. But then the paint becomes a constraint for everything else you choose. Oh, I painted this wall blue. Now I need to have something that goes with this blue color. Or I painted my walls gray and grays come in so many different shades. Now all of a sudden you've restricted yourself to this one gray and, and this one couch that you loved doesn't fit anymore. So that's about creating that vision of how you want the end result to be before you take that first step, before you purchase that one thing first. And then the last one is planning it. If you are a person that can, you know, just open your checkbook or your credit card or your savings account and just do everything at once, great. Most people can't, that's real. So how can we plan this vision in stages that make sense, in stages that will fill, fulfill your needs, the priorities, going back to clarity, that will be within a budget, within your time frame, within what makes the most impact in your life, then we can plan it right and get to that end result the right way. That's, that's what the, whole, the pillars is about. But I think I can apply that to every single thing in our lives. If, if we know where we're going based on what's more important for us, then we can plan our steps. I would agree. I just, as you were talking about it, I can see it connect in so many ways. Because when we don't have that clarity and we're not clear in our priorities, that's where the overwhelm really sets in. And if we don't make that plan and sort of know those logistical pieces, like the money piece that is so uncomfortable and nobody really wants to talk about, it makes it hard to, to make those decisions without Absolutely. that important information there. Absolutely. And I wanted to um, chat with you as well, because I know you're so passionate in the work that you do as an interior designer. And you're very active on Instagram, uh, providing valuable content, insight, and information. And I'd love for you to speak about your Instagram show, My Very First Home, and what it's all about. Because I think uh, for moms listening, even if they're not necessarily looking for their very first home, there's elements and topics and conversations that you have there that really are uh, fantastic for any of us and all of us just to really think about our spaces and how we're designing them. Thanks for asking. My very first home is dear to me. And, and I'm going to tell you a story about that. My very first home, the very first property we bought needed remodeling, but it was in the right location. It was the right size. It was the right price. Actually, it was an amazing price, but it needed remodeling. It was back in Panama. It was built by the U.S. military personnel when they controlled the canal. And it was in a beautiful spot. And I went in with a designer eye, my designer's eye, knowing the potential that it had and everything I can do in it. 
I wanted to change the floors, open up a wall between the kitchen and the family room, change the countertops, the cabinets, paint. I had a list of things I wanted to do. It had a price. And I kept thinking, when I have the money, I'll do it all. Because I'm not going to change the floors and not tear down that wall. Might as well do it too, right? And if I tear down the wall, then I'm going to have the kitchen open. Might as well change the countertops and the cabinet. And so I went. Five years passed. And then we had to sell because we're moving. After those five years of waiting, I did not all of them, but many of the changes I wanted to do. Sadly, I didn't enjoy them. Somebody else did. And I vowed to never let that happen again and just plan things and just take, even if it's just one small remodeling, but do it because people, we have to love where we live. We have to. We cannot postpone enjoying our homes until the time is right or until we have the right amount of money. We have to love our homes from the moment we take possession. So my very first home is about that. It's about loving your home from the minute you start living in it, when you take possession, when you get those keys. And then using the pillars to get there at your own time, in your own timeline, with your own budget, but using the pillars. Home ownership is a journey. It doesn't start when you get your first keys. It starts when you're preparing for it. Even if you're renting, when you start dreaming about buying a home and trying to find out and navigate what's the best way to buy a home. Should I get incentives? Should I get a loan? How do I save that amount of money? How much do I need? There's so many questions. I have kids that will soon be um, considering purchasing a home. I have a daughter who just got married. So this, this is a very real journey for many it doesn't start, like I said, when you're finally a homeowner. So let's, let's start that journey well with knowledge, with information, with clarity of mind. So it, with my very first home, I bring in guests that talk about mortgage, um, you know, what, what are interests, how are they calculated, how do you know if you should buy a condo or a home? Or what are the closing costs? Do I, need it? Do I even need a lawyer and why? You know, those things that are unknown for those who are just starting, you know, this very first home ownership. And then, then once you have this home, okay, what do I do now? This home needs to be, it needs to nurture you, needs to serve you. But how do I take you from, you know, having these keys and these renovation dreams to actually making them come into a reality. So the guests that I bring for this part of this journey, once you're a homeowner, we talk about that. We talk about price points and we talk about, uh, for example, my, my next live is with a flooring company. And I ask questions as if I was a homeowner, not a designer. When I go into your showroom, what do I need to know? What do I need to have determined how do I know what costs more and what costs less? How can I choose? Why do I choose first? Do I choose the tiles or the countertop first? How do I envision the result? So it, my very first home is about sharing knowledge and taking you from, you know, from dreaming of a home to making your renovation dreams into reality in a very 
uh, informative and wise way of doing it with the right planning and the right information and the right vision. I think that's fantastic. What a great resource for people uh, looking to make that purchase, uh, maybe, and looking to consider the potential for some renovations and upgrades. Uh, so just in general, it sounds like a fantastic, valuable resource um, for you. people to, to check out and have a look at. And even for moms, of course, you know, with older children who might be looking to uh, explore that first home ownership themselves, because often I find with many things in life, sometimes those important messages have more of an impact when they come from someone else other than <laughs> mom or dad, right? Because sometimes yes. we just don't know anything. Yeah. There's one, there's one series in, in my very first home, it's called Buyer's Corner, and I bring in um, real real life buyers <laughs> who has just completed completed their their buying journey and they share their experiences and what they learn and what they wish they would have known before going into you know property hunting or, or signing documents it's very interesting to hear how they come up with their decision their final decision and how they wish they would have started the journey before or you know the thing they would have they would have hope somebody taught them before and there's a part of me that that realtor part of me that wants to avoid those I wish I would have known or I wish I would have learned that I wish I would have I'm hoping I eliminate with some of those interviews and in fact there's a Facebook group that I have called my very first home and I'm aiming to create a safe environment for those who are looking for information, not just design information, but also property buying information, because I find that most of the real estate private groups talk about properties that are for sale. And, you know, the, the new offer, the new deal, the new open house, which is very valuable, but where do you go to ask questions in a safe environment? So I'm hoping to create that as I also talk about design and moving forward with your design goals. That all sounds wonderful, Jessica. And before we wrap things up, I was just hoping that you might be willing to share any final thoughts or words of wisdom for moms who are listening, who might be looking for some inspiration or support with their own mom work juggles. Wow. Um, I can think of one, one story, not, not a story, but... I can think of a stage in my life when I realized that I had to change or better said that the change I had made was for the good. So having five children makes you evolve <laughs> and realize that what works with one doesn't work with the other. They're all different, they're individual human beings and we need to adapt as well. My first two kids, I was this type of mom that was very strict and was like, you need to get your shoes on and I'm going to give you three seconds, <laughs> that kind of mom. Once I started having more children, I realized that there was a better way. And I changed from get your, get your shoes on in three seconds to if you don't put your shoes on, you have two options. You either stay home or you come with me. And I can tell, literally, 
the difference in how my kids manage their challenges or questions by the way I helped them make decisions when they were little. And my old, my younger kids um, learned or were more confident making decisions younger than the older ones. They've all become, I'm very proud of all five of them, but there was a difference growing up that I think became, uh, that change came about because of the way I was helping them come up with their own choices. But I had to learn that. So I I would probably for, for moms who are wondering, you know, how do I, how do I help my kids be more confident? Help them, I would say, is by helping them when they're little to make decisions. Another thing, if they allow me, that I that I would add, I value casual teaching. And and that's how I call it, for lack of a better term. I think that comes from my dad. When we would drive, he would always talk to me about what he was doing, his ideas, how some didn't go very well and others did. He wasn't telling me, sit down, I'm going to teach you about business. He never did. It was just that casual teaching, those casual conversations. And I've seen that in my kids as well. I don't tell them, um, you know, specifically that I have these goals and that you need to be, you need to persevere, you need to be patient. I, I just, I talk to them as we're, you know, setting the table or driving to a game. I, I just share with them stories as a, as my way of doing that casual teaching without specifically telling them, I'm going to teach you about the value of hard work. I think there's so much value in being present in our kids' lives. I love that they need me, but the time came when they didn't need me anymore. And where before they were calling me, mom, come see this video, mom, come see this this movie, mom, mom, mom. And then all of a sudden it was, brother, come see this video, sister, come listen to this song. And here I was in the middle, like, I'm here too. (laughs) I'm still here. So I think being present in your kid's life comes from knowing their games, their video games. Tell me about that video game. Tell me about how it works. And who are you? Who's winning? And how do you die? (laughs) Or... Or what, what, like my 16-year-old, I know all about his show, Naruto. Maybe some moms can relate. It's a Japanese show. So he tells me, and I really sit down and watch the episodes with him. And I and they share the memes. And many of the memes they show with they share with me, I do not understand. And they have to explain and they just roll their eyes and mom. But I'm I'm genuinely interested in how their teams are doing and if the new player was signed up or not, or this, the why they're going to be released or the new songs that came up. So those things that may not be very significant to us as moms, they're significant to them. So being present in their lives, that casual teaching is precious to me. It's so precious because eventually they turn into adults that will come back to us and will need us for sure. Thank you so much, Jessica. 
That's such a great way for us to wrap up our conversation today. And I just want to thank you so much for being here and for sharing your story and your ideas and your knowledge with us today. If our listeners want to learn more about you and the amazing work that you do, where are the best places to find you? Well, my Instagram handle is interiors underscore by underscore Jessica. So interiors by Jessica. You can find me there. You can search uh, in Facebook, my very first home as a private Facebook group. In Facebook, um, designer Jessica Velasquez. And you can always email me at Jessica at interiorsbyjessica.ca, not .com, .ca. So again, that's Jessica at interiorsbyjessica.ca. Wonderful. Thank you again so much for sharing your time with us today, Jessica. Thank you for this opportunity. I loved every minute of it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to the Part-Time Jungle Podcast. I'm your host, Tiana Fesh. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Part-Time Jungle and on my website, www.theparttimejungle.com. I would love if you would subscribe to, rate, and review this podcast. Your feedback and support are so appreciated. See you next time where we will continue to explore the motherhood jungle together.